falling short of God's perfect standard, not doing all that we can to live as God's children. So that's sins of commission, things we do, and sins of omission, things we fail to do. Both are covered here. Paul goes on. His readers used to follow the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. You might have heard the phrase, the world, the flesh and the devil. I wonder if this is where it came from originally, that phrase. But they're all three involved here. The world is those outside influences which draw us away from following Jesus. Perhaps it's peer pressure to live a life that looks the same as those around us, rather than making distinctive choices as a disciple of Jesus. The flesh is that bit of us that says, oh, just once won't matter, no one's going to know, let me just have this moment and then I'll do better next time. And the devil works around and within both, seeking to draw us away from following God's will for our lives. So what are the results of choosing that way of life? Paul spells it out in verse 3. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Or literally, in the Greek, it says we were children of wrath. Sounds pretty bleak, doesn't it? And I just want to pause there for a minute because that idea of God's wrath, his righteous hostility to evil and refusal to compromise with it, it can be an uncomfortable idea to sit with and grapple with. But that is the consistent witness of the Bible, that those who continue to walk in the ways of sin and death will face God's wrath. Let me just read a few verses from elsewhere in Scripture that also reflect this same point. John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Romans 1, 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And just in case you're thinking this is only the New Testament, the Old Testament also witnesses to the separation between us and God that is brought about by our sin. Isaiah 59 verse 2, your iniquities, that's your sins, have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. It's a pretty bleak picture, isn't it? And I wonder how we feel as we read and hear these words. Perhaps some of us are feeling all too aware of our own sin and are feeling condemned by all of this. And if that's you, can I just say, please hang in there. This is not the end of the story. But perhaps others of us feel that this is about other people, those people over there. This is not about us. I mean, we're doing okay, right? We try our best to live a good life. These verses are talking about really sinful people, like, I don't know, Adolf Hitler or somebody, not us. Well, I'm really sorry, but this is not just other people. God's standard for our lives is perfection. 
And I don't know about you, but I fall short of that standard again and again and again. It doesn't matter whether we miss that mark by a little bit or by a really, really long way. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's all of us, you and me included. That's quite a difficult first part of a sermon, isn't it? But I think it is really important to engage with the reality of what it means to choose to walk in the ways of sin rather than following Jesus the way. And to recognize that this is where all of us were and where we would still be if God had not intervened. But the good news is that he did not leave us there. So let's continue now with verse 4. But, I love it when the Bible puts but in there. It means that something amazing is about to happen. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. God is a God of love and of mercy. And people sometimes question how God's love and God's wrath can sit alongside one another. But both are aspects of his character. God cannot ignore sin and his righteous anger must be satisfied. And yet he loves us so much that he did not leave us to face the consequences of our sin, but he chose to intervene, coming himself in the person of Jesus, God the Son, to die on the cross and take our punishment on himself. While we were still dead in sin, God made us alive in Christ. That's truly mind-blowing, isn't it? If we just stop and think about it and not just rush on thinking we've heard this a million times before. Jesus was dead, but he did not stay dead. God raised him to life. We were dead in our sins, but when we are included in Christ, we too are raised to new life in him and seated at God's right hand in the heavenly realms, in him. And notice, this is all written in the past tense. God has done this. It's not a promise that he'll do it in the future, but we are now alive with Christ. And God will continue to show that grace and kindness to us for all eternity. Verse 7, he did all of this in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. This means we can have complete confidence that our future is secure if we place our trust in God and accept what Jesus has done for us in dying on the cross in our place. We need not fear death. We need not fear that we will face God's wrath because we are already now in Christ, made alive with him, and when we die, our eternal home will be with God. Earlier, I read Romans 3.23, and I'm going to read it again now and continue on to the following verse as well. 
all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Justified. That's a legal word which means counted righteous. It's like being declared not guilty in a court of law. And you might, if you heard the sort of little acronyms when you were growing up, you might have heard justified described as just as if I'd never sinned. And that is what God has done for us. We are declared righteous. We are declared not guilty because we are in Christ. This is not our own inherent righteousness, but his righteousness. And the barriers that our sin created between us and God, those barriers have been torn down. 2 Corinthians 5.19 tells us, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And this all comes about because of God's grace, the unmerited kindness and favor that he lavishes upon us another little acronym that you may have heard before. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense, G-R-A-C-E. And it helps us remember that grace is God's gift to us, but it comes at the expense of Jesus's death on the cross. Isaiah 53 tells us, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. So how do we receive this amazing gift? Well, let's look together at verse 8. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This amazing grace is a gift from God which we receive by faith. All we have to do is say yes and accept what Jesus has done for us and put our trust in him. There's nothing we can do to make God love us any more than he loves us already. We're not saved by trying our best to live a good life and make God love us. That's just setting ourselves up to fail because none of us can reach God's perfect standard. But also, there's nothing we can do to make God love us any less than he does. He knows we're going to make mistakes. We all do. We all get it wrong from time to time. And yet he still lavishes his grace and his love upon us. If we place our faith in Jesus, we are in him We have crossed over from death to life, raised to life with him to enter into the fullness of God's gift to us, being justified, declared not guilty, and promised an eternity of grace and love with God forever. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We just need to place our faith in him and say yes to God's amazing gift. So if we choose to follow Jesus along the way, does it matter then how we live? After all, I've just said nothing can make God love us any the less. So does that give us free license to go off and do whatever we want and all the sins we can think of just go and get stuck in? Well, no. Sorry. 
Just because grace is God's gift to us doesn't mean it can be treated lightly. The German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer distinguishes between cheap grace and costly grace. Bonhoeffer writes this. Cheap grace is grace without price, grace without cost. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. It is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Costly grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it cost a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man or a woman the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin. And grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. We are called to follow Jesus Christ. And in the final verse of our Ephesians passage, Paul describes what this will look like. He writes this, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Or literally in the Greek, it says God prepares good works for us to walk in. Do you remember earlier I was talking about walking in the way of sin and death? Well, this is a much more attractive way to walk in, to walk in the good works that God has prepared for us to do as we follow Jesus along the way. As James writes in his letter, faith without deeds is dead. And the way that we live shows the reality of our faith in Jesus as we put our faith into practice in our daily lives. But please, not, let's not lose sight of the fact that we are saved only and completely by God's grace, not by anything we do or don't do. It's so easy to get sucked back into that mentality. We are saved by grace through faith. But to return to the words of Bonhoeffer, costly grace calls us to follow Jesus Christ and to walk in his way, showing by the way that we live that our faith in him is real. As I finish, I'd like to draw your attention to the beginning of verse 10, where we are described as God's handiwork. Literally, it says God's work of art. Just sit with that for a minute, because however you feel about yourself this morning, you are God's work of art. He created you as a beautiful masterpiece. And as he looks at you and all of his creation, to steal a phrase from Genesis 1, he sees it is very good. I once read a story about a great man who had his portrait painted by a famous artist. Now, I don't know if this was real or fictional, but it doesn't really matter. The man who was the subject of the painting said that his dearest wish was that generations to come would look at the painting and not ask, who was that man? who painted that portrait, because he knew it wasn't about him, but his picture was a signpost to the greatness of the artist who had created the work of art. 
So how might we be a signpost to the greatness of the wonderful God who created us as his work of art, as we place our faith in his amazing grace which has saved us and walk in those good works that he has prepared for us to do. Amen.